0: Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow.
1: Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to have Dr. A.J. Tarpoff from Kansas State University with us. It's going to be a great show. We're going to talk about internal parasites. We're thankful that you joined us. We'll see you right after this message. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson and I have a friend and colleague here, Dr. AJ Tarpoff. He is an associate professor at Kansas State University and he is the state uh, beef extension specialist or beef veterinary mm-hmm. extension specialist uh, for Kansas and the, and, the, and the surrounding area. And Dr. Tarpoff uh, has been a, a veterinarian in practice. He's well known in feedlot practice, beef quality assurance. Uh, cow-calf and and beyond, and he really helps a lot of people, and so thanks for being with us. No, it's always a pleasure to be here. Great, great. So as we, uh, today we're going to talk about internal parasites, and um, you know, just kind of, to just get us started, just kind of help us understand what what are some of, who are some of the players, and and
2: what what are some of the things, the life cycle, and how we spread it. Yeah, so internal parasites, they're kind of that invisible attacker right uh, you know we can see flies we can see some of these different things but uh, what's lurking in our pastures that we can't see are those internal parasites uh, so cattle they have a number of uh, parasites that are specific to them and they consume them while they graze Okay. So these are, these are worms. We we call them worms. They're nematodes. Uh, but they consume the, the larva that are out on the pasture, gets into their digestive tract, and they actually live, most of them live either in the abomasum, which is the acid secreting stomach, or lower in the intestinal tract okay now the two main ones that well, a handful of main ones that we're concerned about that if, if folks are reading or they hear these names uh the number one is ostratasia yeah right and those of you that have heard about ostratasia that's the, you know most economic uh, parasite dealing with cattle uh another one that's on the rise is cuperia and we're seeing some issues with resistance which we'll get into that uh, but those are two main kind of internal parasites that we're really concerned with with cattle production Now, what's interesting about these these parasites is they live inside cattle. The adults do. They shed eggs. It passes through the digestive tract, goes into the environment, and those eggs are really, really stable in the environment. So what that means is they can overwinter. They stay out in the pasture, and 90% of all worm burden is not in the animals, not in our grazing cows. It's out on the ground. It's out on the ground. So we, when we treat animals, we're treating just 10% of what that population is, because the huge population of those parasites are out in the pasture. As they graze, That the eggs hatch, they leave the manure pack, they get really close on on the, the growing uh, vegetative state of grass, yep. and in the little, if you look at it under a micron you know microscope, uh, you can see these little water droplets. Okay, and these little larvae hatch out of the eggs. They become infective, and as cattle come by, they actually consume those infective larvae. Huh.
1: So the the other side of this is is you know we have people that run stalkers and grass cattle, and they've got cattle coming in, going out of pastures, and and uh, that. You know what you're saying is is that even when we go and treat these animals they're going to be seeding down these pastures with with worms from all over everywhere that we're bringing
2: on to this deal that that are going to be there for a long time uh, they're there uh, and we can't really rid an environment of those eggs and so that's the big concern it's there we have to manage it we can never completely rid these animals of it i ran a, a, a some quick numbers before mm-hmm. uh before I, I came to meet with you today yeah. One cow-calf pair that is shedding a pretty low amount of, of worm burden can deposit over 51 million eggs over a grazing season. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and they don't just do it in one spot on the pasture, do they? Nope, they carry it, they carry it with them, uh, and they know how to survive. These, uh, several of these uh, individual parasites on the inside of cattle, they go dormant when their eggs can't survive in the environment. So if it gets really hot down south, they go dormant. Up north, guess what, whenever it gets really cold, they go dormant, so they're not shedding eggs into an environment where they can't survive. It's called hypobiosis. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable information.
1: We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the impacts that these parasites can have on your cows. You're watching Doc Talk with Dr. Tarpoff. We're glad you joined us.
0: DNA Dialogue is brought to you by iGenity Beef. Powered by Neogen. I think that probably the most important trait for any commercial producer to think about when they're doing genetic selection is stability. So, stability is how long do we expect a cow to stay in the herd, right? Our economist friends tell us that a cow has to reach this age of about six years old before she becomes profitable. So in that case, right, she's recouped the costs of her development, she's recouped her annual maintenance costs, and only then does that cow start to be profitable. The good news about stayability is that It's genetically heritable, right? It's one of these lowly heritable traits. So um, somewhere between 10 and 20% heritable, but it's probably one of the most important economic traits to a commercial cow herd. So if we can find bulls that will make cows that stay in our herd longer, um, we ultimately are a, a more profitable operation. So stayability is the most important trait for a commercial cow herd to keep their eye on.
1: Still the use of genomics for cattle producers will be more widespread than we're seeing it now. I I think we're just in the beginning stages of it. I think a lot of people just see the side of the replacement females and increasing the predictability and future use of your females because we all know the cost that it takes to develop those in, into a cow. The large side of it that folks miss out on is the use of genomics to predict the product that they're making every year and in that I mean their calves. The feed yards are constantly after a more predictable product, a more predictable days on feed, a more predictable outcome on the rail. Through genomics, we were able to accomplish a lot faster what used to take multiple generations. Hygenity right, Beef. Contact your Neogen territory manager to test today.
2: Come on! SGS powered by Neogen is the highest industry standard in genomic testing for your whole herd. Contact the American Angus Association to test today.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to DocTalk, Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. AJ Tarpoff. We're at Kansas State University where Dr. Tarpoff is an associate professor. Uh, He is the Bovine Veterinary Extension Specialist for the state of Kansas um, and through the Extension Research. He, uh, has an unbelievable, uh, following, uh, and, and is a noted expert in bovine health and, and performance, uh, nationally and internationally. So glad to have you. And, um,
2: very thankful for all you do for the industry. Yep. Well, it's fun with when, pe- when people care about their animals, I want to help them. I want to help them care and do even better. Well, uh, another
1: reason to send your, your, uh, son or daughter to K-State as he teaches some classes here as well. Mm -hmm. So a great person to have as a mentor and a teacher. So we're talking about parasites. And 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 we talked about the Ostratasia and the worm burdens and how we how we propagate it. Now tell me a little bit about what what it does to the animals and and what what we're gonna see for maybe maybe see
2: for clinical science. Right. So when we think about clinical science, we think about you can pinpoint an animal in a group and say that animal is diseased, right? right? When we think about bovine respiratory disease, you know, we can pick those animals out of a group and say that one is diseased. Unfortunately, we can't do that with internal parasites always. So clinical signs, if we had true clinical signs, those are very rare. And we'll talk about that here in a, in a minute. But our biggest burden, our biggest disease is actually subclinical issues. Okay, And that means that we can't see outwardly, see the issue, but we can measure it. So what happens when we get a worm burden, especially in the abomasum of cattle, what happens is they destroy the acid secreting cells inside the stomach lining. Okay. So when we, all of a sudden we don't, we have reduced acid production. That sends a, a feedback loop to the brain that says they're no longer hungry. So our number one issue with internal parasites is decreased voluntary feed intake. Cattle just aren't hungry. And when we're raising beef, we want animals to consume, yep. right? We're trying to grow them. We're trying to develop them. Uh, we're trying to get them to the next stage of production. Well, if they don't want to eat food, they don't grow as well. They use more resources, takes a longer period of time. It's a huge drain on the overall cattle industry of the entire world. Yeah. And so so what
1: may show up is decreased weaning weights, mm-hmm. decreased yearling weights,
2: uh, slowed heifer development. Mm-hmm uh things to that nature yeah and when we slow down production takes longer takes too many you mentioned heifers maybe they may not be cycling like they should at the right time of year and that can catch us off guard so it sneaks up on us and we don't really see the outcome until we put a weight to it until we actually measure that weight and that's where we really see that big input it's like whoa what happened
1: Yep. and then if we would see some some clinical signs I'm assuming diarrhea, uh, you know, some of those that are like nutritionally related would be something we'd see. that would be something in, in nature
2: that's like a chronic type issue. Right. Uh, so the one thing that we will see is early in the spring after those uh, those worms that are have been sleeping all winter, mm-hmm. they kind of come out and they get really active. We can see really loose manure early in the spring. So that's really common that we can see. That's That's number one. Number two heavily 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 infected animals uh they'll start to lose a lot of protein through their intestinal tract and they'll start to gather fluid almost like a heart failure they'll get a bunch of fluid yep. and we call it bottle jaw yeah uh, so they get this big water filled sack underneath their jaw and down their neck and that's from all that protein that they're losing through their digestive tract
1: yeah and we, and we see that with chronic edema mm-hmm. uh in the belly and pot bellied and yep. and uh, bottle jaw on that so Subclinical, clinical signs, uh, these parasites, we got to get rid of them. It's the reason why it's a dirty word. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, when we come back, we'll talk about treatment, prevention, things you can do on your farm. Dr. Tarpoff, we'll be right back. Hey, folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. AJ Tarpoff. He is the extension bovine veterinarian for the state of kansas he is at kansas state university where we're at shooting today and he is an associate professor um one of the the people that is really out helping the industry and doing a lot um for for a lot of producers and uh we're talking about internal parasites and so dr tarpoff when we when we're you know Talk about which animals,
2: you know, are most susceptible on your farm. Yeah. uh, Unlike other diseases where all animals are susceptible, um, we we call it the 80-20 rule. Okay. Okay. Uh, So 80% of the worm burden Mm -hmm. and the the infectious, you know, you know, carrying all that worm burden is only in 20% of our animals. Gotcha. So we have a relatively uh, small number of animals carrying the vast, you know majority and the vast burden uh and really having that negative impact uh so not all animals are, are you know are impacted the same some of that is genetics, some of its breeding some of its what, what regions they've come for up from and if they've had exposure or not so let's talk about you know who is impacted most well the immune system is a key player when it comes to internal parasites. So, just the immune system, just like any muscle, it has to be exposed to, you know, a load. It has to work. It has yeah. to get stronger. So, our young and developing calves, our younger animals, our uh, pre-weaning, weaned animals, post-weaning, develop, uh, you know, heifer development. Uh, that period of time, that growing stage, that's the most critical. Okay, so all animals within the herd, the younger animals. Especially
1: when we start to look at, when they start to eat on their own, Mm -hmm. uh, so that weaning to two-year-old animal is just prime for for
2: parasitism. Yeah, absolutely. So we're thinking about um, our stalkers, our backgrounders, our post-weaning scenarios. Uh, So all of those animals are at risk. They're carrying a heavy burden. They have not had time to develop the immunity. Now, the other group that is heavily at risk and this has to do with hormones, yep. but bulls, okay, are mature breeding bulls that are out in the pasture. Uh, obviously, they're you know grazing year-round mostly, yep. right? But those bulls, just due to the hormone levels, they're more at risk and they carry a, a heavier load than some of the other animals their their same age.
1: So, on the flip side, there's some animals that are pretty darn resistant.
2: There are and that's that's the bright and shining light if there is one when we talk about internal parasitism is animals will develop resistance and and develop immunity against a lot of these pathogens as they age so when we look at something like cuperia or or ostratasia those internal parasites cows by the time they hit three to four years of age they have a pretty robust immune response and protection against getting reinfected so they still carry a low level but it's not it, not near the you know economic impact of what it is when they're younger.
1: So that kind of rolls us into, you know, we don't have vaccines for these, but we can keep some some somewhat semblance of of what we call refugia to help
2: control resistance and control some of the the infection rates. Correct. We can. So uh, resistance comes at a price for some of those those worms Uh, resistant to some of our treatment methods uh, it's real and it absolutely happens Uh, so when we can keep a susceptible population out in the pasture remember that's 90 percent of the population if we can keep susceptible worms out there we get better treatment rates whenever we go to treat them
1: right so so understanding refugia, understanding that the, the higher risk animals, those newly weaned calves, those stalkers, those backgrounders up to two years old until they have enough exposure to build immune tolerance, um, focusing on them uh, and, and maintaining some refugia to help keep that susceptible population of worms out there is, is vital. Absolutely. Great. We're gonna take a break, and we come back. We'll get into what everybody wants to talk about—the product. <laughs> um, how do I how do I fix this problem? Right. But uh, uh, great information. We're thankful for Dr. Tar- Tarpoff. We'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson with Dr. A.J. Tarpoff, who is the bovine veterinary extension specialist for uh, the state of Kansas. Everything, cow calf to feedlot to stalker to backgrounder, Dr. Tarpoff handles it um, here at Kansas State University. And we're talking uh, internal parasites, and we've gotten through the bugs, what they cause, uh, which animals are more susceptible. Now let's talk about what products.
2: Yeah. So. Uh- I guess the bad thing about products is we haven't had any new type of products or new classes of products of parasiticides in quite some time. Right. Okay. Uh, now, the three main classes that we have, and I'll, I'll kind of lump that into three classes uh, we have the avermectins, yep. right, which work on uh, some of our internals, some of our externals, been around forever. Uh, they work fantastic. They're really broad spectrum. Uh, then we have some of our, our other types, so our benzimidazoles, or we, you know, we refer yep. to them as white warmers. Yep. Those are usually drenched. Yep. okay so they've been, again been been around since the 50s so these are products that we've uh, that have been you know effective we've used them in different ways but they've been around for a long time uh, and then we have some of the thiazoles uh, that again uh, can either be injectable or oral uh, so those are the three main categories but again we've they've been in use for a long time yep. uh, one of the main problems that we've seen is we've seen reduced efficacy over time uh, and some of these products by themselves really are not knocking out those parasites like they once did. Yep. Um, now, within classes, I you know I, I mentioned the white wormers, the that we have oral drenches that go straight into where those worms live. Uh, on the avermectin side, we have uh, porons. Okay, we have uh, injectable. So there are a couple of different ways. Some are really long lasting. Okay. And our avermectins, just our, our basic, basic ones, uh, we can have efficacy out to 28 days or so, Wow! right? Or, which our other ones are quick hitting, quick acting, and then they go away. So there's no residual effects. Yep. So uh, understanding if we need residual, if we don't need re- residual, what we're after, what previous treatment history is, all of these things go together and that's where the conversation with the local veterinarian all producers should have that 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 veterinary client patient relationship ask these questions have this conversation this is what i've done in the past what are my options what's the best choice going
1: forward and i think that that goes right into what you're saying too is that changing class of compound combination Mm -hmm. uh deworming programs uh are all being built and studied to to prevent resistance within
2: your herd. Yeah, resistance currently, the way way we look at it, is if we have reduced efficacy, when we kind of measure that by if, uh, what we can do is, you know, measure the worm burden, treat the animals, and then measure the worm burden after. Uh, It's called a fecal egg count reduction test, and your veterinarian can run that, Uh, but that's that's a measure of efficacy. And what that means is, if we're getting less than 90% kill rate, we're running into either resistant issues or we didn't dose those animals correctly yep. okay so with whatever uh, products we're using we need to make sure that we are dosing those by weight that we're actually not under dosing because if we underdose we're not going to have the effect and we potentially could breed some of those resistant issues yep and and you know we got about a minute
1: left um, you know work with your veterinarian on when and which animals
2: to mm-hmm to deworm, correct? Absolutely. So I mean, there there are differences. And if you're a cow-calf operator, you're on grass, you know, uh, 100% of the time, we're going to do things one way. If you're at a feedlot and those animals go into a dirt lot environment, there's no more uh, parasite burden, Okay, Whatever they're holding on the inside, that's all they're going to have. Because they're not going to be grazing. They're not going to be recycling. So we
1: just kill it. Whatever's in them, we don't worry about new ones being formed.
2: Yep, but time wise, uh, you know, obviously this, it's usually when we have those animals captured, yep. and when we can properly <laughs> dose those animals, uh, which isn't always the best time to uh, properly deworm those animals. Uh, so, our springtime is a really common time. It's getting ready for turnout, and ideally, If we can wait a month or so after we've uh, turned animals out they can graze and pick up all those new emergent worms we can get them back in and deworm them we can really have a good effect there but it's it's again it's a challenge with labor
1: yeah we vaccinate and deworm when we catch them yes (laughs) well uh again thanks for all you do uh thanks for being on the show um you know, we'll have you back. Um, and uh, Dr. A.J. Tarpoff here at Kansas State University. Remember, like he said, always work with your local veterinarian. If you wanna see what we do at Doc Talk, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson with Dr. A.J. Tarpoff, and we'll see you down the road.
0: At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow.